apnea worship, would you like to try our new hands-free worship? Look, just turn down the guitars. That music is too loud. No loud music. Oh, and keep the sermon short this week. Is there anything else? Oh, and don't make us pray in the service. And, and no drums. Would you like hymns with that? Look, just play some hymns on the piano. Did I mention no guitar? Okay. Welcome to Craft New Worship. Would you like to try our new hands free worship? Oh, hi. Uh, we're going to have... Hold on! Okay, we're going to have um, fast music, lots of jumping. And uh, we want to... Okay, okay. Um, a real short sermon. And uh, maybe a mime would be good for that. Oh, okay. And um, graham crackers with apple juice. Thank you so much. Please move forward. Welcome to Craft Your Worship. Yeah, no uh, music for me, please. Uh, no clapping, no shaking hands. Oh, and no passing plates. I'm on a tight budget. Thanks. Please move forward. Welcome to Draft Your Worship. Can I help you? Oh, hey, what kind of music you guys got here? I love the rock and roll, man. So cool. Yeah, and, uh, oh, don't make me lift my hands up, though. That's kind of awkward, kind of weird. Um, anyway, yeah, 20-minute talk is good. Not any longer. Got places to go, you know what I mean? Yeah, I love this church, man. Right on. Please move forward. Welcome to Craft New Worship. Would you like to try our new hands-free worship? Hi, um, I'm pretty new to this, uh, have any suggestions for me? Would you like praise with that? Uh, I, I'm I'm pretty open. I just want to praise God for who He is. Would you like to try our new hands free worship? Hello? Please call. Would you like to? Would you like like praise? Please call. Would you like to try our worship? Can I help you? Hello. Father, unfortunately, it's so funny because it's such truth. We somehow think that you've been set apart for us rather than us being set apart for you. As we continue in your word, I pray that your spirit would evidence in our own lives the way that we drive through this whole thing of worship and dedication and convict us of our demands and um, renew us with the truth that what we really need is to praise you for who you are. So, Father, again, as we continue in your word, I pray that you would have burning coals touch my lips, for I am a woman of unclean lips, chief of sinners. I pray that you would hide me in the cleft of the rock that is Jesus Christ, that I would decrease, that he might increase. Father, you know these are not wise or persuasive words. And so I pray in faith for a demonstration of your spirit's power among us to continue the work that you have begun restoring us, rebuilding us, and reviving us to be dedicated, set apart for you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
that short video reminds me of a, a quote by Martin Luther. He says, the essence of sin is that man seeks his own in everything, even in God. The essence of sin is that man seeks his own in everything, even in God. As we look this week at Nehemiah 12 and we look at the idea of dedication being set apart for something, I had to ask myself the question that I just prayed. Do I believe that I have been set apart for God or do I live like he's been set apart for me? Do I live like I've been set apart for God or do I live like he has been set apart for me? No loud guitars. I'll take some grape juice and some graham crackers with that. In the 1999 bestseller, Cat and Dog Theology, the authors Bob Shogren and Gerald Robison talk about rethinking your relationship to the master. And the book is based on the joke about the differences between cats and dogs. The dog says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, you must be God. The cat says... (laughs) You pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, I must be God. It's a very humorous look at the church. And I would say with my experience with the church now in these, oh gosh, I think it's been 30 years I've been a believer. Oh my goodness, yes, it was in the womb, just kidding. Um, it is, you can, get, as you get to know believers, you can begin to see this dividing line between how we approach the living God. As evidenced in that video, there are cats among us and there are dogs among us. Now, the cat wouldn't actually say she is God, upper G, but it's a lower G God. And although she would say he is the living God, she lives as if God has been set apart for her rather than she being set apart for him. In this, in this book, Cat and Dog Theology, the authors um, use humor to, in a scripturally based way of communicating the need for Christians to rethink their relationship to God. Now, I just skimmed the book, and I got such a kick out of it. I have not read every page of it, so I'm not necessarily recommending it. But I did skim quite through most of it, and I will be using some quotes from the book because I think there was some really incredible truths if you have not yet read that book. The Israelites in Nehemiah's day had much more than a humorous scripture-based book to rethink their relationship with God. They actually had a living encounter with him. In fact, many, as we've been studying these last 10 weeks, 12, 11 weeks, in response to their repentance, God brought them back from captivity, restored them to his holy city, a city that was in ruins. Its gates were burned, a city that was a, was a subject of shame and in much trouble. He united them. As his beloved people, he used them as his living stones to rebuild the city. And in the process of picking up and watching these stones come to life, their own lives came to life. Remember, he dealt with their slavery of each other, their debts, the way they were abusing each other. He rebuilt not just the city, he rebuilt the people because that was the purpose of rebuilding the city. They did it in just 52 days. Only God could do that, and they say that. You have made us prosper. In fact, because it was done so quickly and so beautifully, the enemies fell on their own esteem. Remember that? All those bullies who were mocking them and trying to derail them and discourage them and even tried to kill them were, fell down on their own esteem. They didn't even know who they were. And then we saw this powerful washing of his word as their revival of their souls came, as the word of God exposed them. 
He revived their hearts, their bodies, and their souls. With such an encounter of the living God, their covenant God, his touch, his feeding, his shelter, his love, the people could have assumed they were God. God had been so good to them, they could have said, okay, we'll take it from here. We must be pretty great that you did all this for us. But in response to what he had done, at least in Nehemiah 12, and unfortunately there's more story to be told, at least in Nehemiah 12 we see that, no, their response is loudly, joyfully, so that everyone can hear, you are God. The Israelites get that the restoration, the rebuilding, the revival that has happened among them was not about them primarily. It was about the glory of God among the nations. Listen to what J.G. McConville says in his commentary. When the people march on the walls to the temple, they do so after having placed the temple once again at the center of their thoughts. The walls thus appear for what they are, not a monument to the strength of Judah, heaven forbid, but God's gift for protection and the perpetuation of his name in the world. In the dedication of the wall, they get it. It's not about us. We didn't do this. You did this. And so, therefore, we're not going to say, thanks, God, for the wall. We'll take it from here. We're going to say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. We're counting on you to take it from here. And so they pause. They pause to dedicate. They pause to remember who it is has done what has rebuilt this wall. In Nehemiah 12:2, and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. They set aside, the Israelites set aside their daily responsibilities and their routine to dedicate this wall, to dedicate what God had done among them, to set it apart for his use. They prepared themselves to express gladness. Isn't that funny to think about preparing yourself to express gladness? Preparing yourself to express thanksgiving? How often do we stop and prepare instead of just rushing into it? Derek Kidner says, Elaborate festivities can be hollow, but where the occasion is great, the demanding business of planning, proclaiming, assembling, and rehearsing makes for good kindling material for the emotions. They knew this well. If we plan, if we prepare, this will be beautiful kindling for our emotion. We will feel it more deeply. We will remember it more profoundly. In our culture, we pause for hardly anything, particularly anything spiritual. It's amazing how we will plan and prepare for things that are secular. We prepare more for a birthday party than we prepare for a holy holiday sometimes. And God is asking us to stop filling our lives with endless activity and pause and prepare ourselves to be glad, to be thankful, to recognize that we too often celebrate ourselves, kitties, rather than celebrate the one true God, dogs. This is why I think the whole Sabbath thing has been so huge for me. And I pray that you've been really chewing on this as we talked about last week and the whole purpose of setting aside time to celebrate, to recognize who we are. We need that. Our souls need it. Our bodies need it. And I ask you to hold me accountable, those of you who were here last week. And last, this last Sunday was my first Sunday of, of really intensifying the Sabbath. Had a very interesting experience that only God would have known ahead of time. 
after leaving church here on Sunday, I went to, to go see my father-in-law, who we knew was in his last days. And at 1.30 on Sunday afternoon, the Lord's Day, which is our, what we celebrate as our Sabbath, my father-in-law it went into eternal rest. What a profound and holy moment to get to be there when he took his last breath. And what a reality check as to how badly I and you need to pause and rest and remind ourselves of what this life is about. No wonder we slip into being cats so often because we don't exercise the spiritual discipline of pausing. We will not find satisfaction in the living God if we don't pause. We will think we are God, lower G, rather than he is God if we don't pause. Bob Shogren and Gerald Robinson in the book say cats want to be satisfied with God, but they don't have the patience for it. They don't pause. <laughs> cats always want a quick fix, and the things of this world can give it to them. But finding the spirit of living water takes time and discipline. There are not quick fixes with God. This is why we pause, ladies, because there aren't quick fixes. And if we want to be people who say, you love me, you feed me, you shelter me, you must be God, we have to stop and tell ourselves that story. The pausing releases a recognition that we need to be purified. Because until we pause for a moment, we won't realize how dirty we actually are and the cleansing that we need to be joyful. We will rush in without taking the time to be purified. Nehemiah 12.30, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates of the wall. After pausing, their next step was to purify themselves and the wall before they dedicated it. They set themselves apart. The Israelites set themselves apart through purifying. The Levites, what they would have done for ceremonial washing, as we look at the Israelites at that time, is that they would have washed their bodies as well as their clothing. They would have fasted. They would have abstained from sexuality with their, with their wives, and they would have made a sin offering at the temple. That's what the Levites would have done to purify themselves. And as they would purify the people, that would be a washing of the body and the clothing. They typically would not do the rest of it. They offer the sacrifices on behalf of the people. What's interesting is the dedicating of the, t- of the gates. What we believe they did at that time, looking at the rest of Scripture, is that they would take a hyssop branch and they would, they would do the, the outer parts of the gate with both blood and water to set it apart, like they did for Passover, how they would remember what God had done, the deliverance of them from their sins. They did this to sanctify Jerusalem. Remember, it was burnt stones. There was shame. And so they were taking the uncleanliness away from Jerusalem and, and setting it aside preparing it, purifying it, so that all that came in and went out would glorify God. Everybody and everything was purified. Time and energy was spent to remember what God had done, who had restored them, who had rebuilt them, who had revived them, and to respond appropriately. They wanted his presence to dwell among them, and his presence would dwell among them in purity. Matthew Henry says, Whatever is done for their safety, ease, and comfort must be designed for God's honor and glory. Do we get that? That the work that God has done in our lives for our ease, for our comfort, for our safety is designed to honor and glorify him 
not ourselves. They wanted to be vessels, gates, walls of honor. And I love what came up in our later meeting. One of our assistants uh, was able to be there, and she shared about this whole idea of being vessels of honor with our leaders. And I loved what she and her mom had done a, a tea for young girls and wanted them to get this whole idea of what it meant to be a pure vessel of honor and the different types of vessels in a home. And, and so they did this based on a book that they had read. They had done a, a luncheon for the girls, and they had put out a beautiful spread. And when they invited the girls to, to have lunch, they had them go ahead and, and get uh, – Paper plates kind of out of the trash, dirtied, stained. And the girls were like, ew, gross. And they were making a point. God is calling each one of us to let his work be done through us. Do you want to be a dirty plate? God wants, wouldn't you want to offer someone what you're going to give them, what God has given you and the gifts that he's given you? Wouldn't you want to serve that? on a plate that is clean and precious. What a great visual picture of what it means to be a vessel. And the Israelites get this. They know that God is going to work among them and through them. And they don't want to be a dirty plate, a paper plate. They want to be a vessel of honor. As Matthew Henry said, are we concerned to purify our hands and our hearts when the work of God is going to pass through them? Ladies, do you realize how holy and awesome it is that God allows us to be a part of his work? Do we really want the work of God to pass through us as dirty plates? They purify. And this purification then leads to participating, true participating as clean vessels. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall, Nehemiah writes, and I appointed two great choirs and gave thanks. One went to the south, to the wall, and to the dung gate. So both of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. They stand. They, their bodies proclaim what they know to be true. The Israelites refuse to be spectators. God is the audience, not them. Oh, ladies, these are cats. Cats think that we're the audience and God should perform for us. Dogs know that God is the audience. How often do we come into any form of worship and we expect everyone to entertain us and to perform for us? I remember Jeff wanting to do something in our wedding. And as we were watching our wedding video last week, as I shared about that, I thought it was very interesting. And now I'm understanding the, the, how profound it was now as we rewatched this video. But Jeff came out before our wedding started and he challenged those who were at our wedding. I'm there wondering if he was coming out to say he wasn't marrying me, but... And he said these words. He says, sometimes we think we are the audience and those on stage are performing. But really, all of us are on stage and God is the audience. And he challenged those in our wedding to reflect on their own marriages and to recognize that God was the only audience that day. That Jeff and I weren't performing anything for our friends. God was the one we were there for and the one we were to please. It's amazing how often we just think that we are the audience. And the Israelites get, we're going to stand up, we're going to give thanks to our audience of one. For their audience of one, Israel walked the walls, praising the Lord for what he had done. Each gate, each section of the wall, each family. Can you remember, imagine as these leaders walked the wall, they would remember who lived there and who helped that gate and what it had looked like before. And remember all the meanings behind the gates, with the sheep and the dung and the water and the fountain. 
Each one, can you just imagine the, the, the beauty and the meaning, the slavery that ha- those have been freed, the debts that had been paid, the miracles, the enemies falling down on themselves. Such beauty. Israel consecrated every stone to be set aside for God's purposes, for him, the audience of one. In the Old Testament, when the people would walk around something, it meant they were claiming it for God. So they walked around the city, they walked on the walls, claiming it all for God. Do we walk around our lives and say, it's yours, Lord? Mark Roberts, in his commentary, says, Our bodies can influence our hearts to genuinely worshipful experience. They could have stood in one place and just eyed the wall, couldn't they have? And remembered each section, but they walked it. Step by step. Because they knew that their bodies would influence their hearts. Ladies, I never used to be a hand raiser or a kneeler. But I have realized I have ADD. There's a bird. No, just kidding. And so... I have to use my body to inform my heart. And I I struggle with this because I don't want it to be a show and I don't want anyone to, to be distracted by me, but I know me and my body needs to inform my heart and I bet you're like me, most of you. And we need to ask the Lord, okay, what do I need to do to really praise you, to really thank you? And I've loved some of the feedback I've gotten from some of our leaders. We have been practicing praying on our knees in our leader meeting, and some of our leaders have said, I've never done that before, and it has changed my prayer life. Now, it's not for everybody. It's just for those of us with ADD, maybe. I don't know. But I remember talking to a woman from Bible study, and one time I had you all pray out loud like our Central Asia sisters, and we all prayed at the same time. And she said to me, that was the first time I could pray out loud, and it was so powerful, because everyone was praying at the same time. Her body was informing her heart. And so, ladies, we need to worship with our whole bodies. Everything in us, it will inform our heart. The route of the, of the leaders was unsure. You know, commentators, I can't believe how many pages on which gate they went to, which way. And, but you know what? The bottom line is the destination, which was the temple. Because it wasn't about the wall. It was about what was inside the wall. It wasn't about stones. It was about the living God. And so they stop at the focal point, which is the temple. The purpose of the day was to make much of God, not much of themselves. I love what John Piper says. Do you feel loved by God because you believe he makes much of you or because you believe he frees you and empowers you to enjoy making much of him? There's a difference between cats and dogs, isn't it? Do you feel loved by God? By the way, I am a cat lover, so please don't be offended by me. Do you feel loved by God because you believe he makes much of you? Or because you believe he frees you and empowers you to enjoy making much of him. There's no joy in making much of me. I've tried it. And if you're honest, you have too. But when we get to be a part of making much of him, talk about a joy that's heard from far away. And so they stand, they, they walk, they sing, they give thanks. It's so important, this Thanksgiving, that the choirs are named. So important to God. I have to tell you, I kind of honestly struggled with this at first because I'm not much of a singer. I mean, not only do I not sing well, but it isn't necessarily the way that that God really speaks to me, or so I thought. And then I started really looking at my life and really thinking about it and realizing that the right song about him, I'm a wreck. There is something about music 
And God has called us to be a singing people. Whether we're off key or whether we enjoy it or not, there's something vulnerable when we sing. And our heart is in it. He calls us to a thankfulness with music. Why? Listen to what Jonathan Edwards said, an incredible man of of the awakening who understood what it meant to really enjoy God. He said, God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. We We can see it and say, ah, wow, but God wants us to rejoice in it. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then received by the whole soul, both by the understanding and by the heart. Sometimes I think I don't enjoy singing because I don't pause enough. I remember last year, God had, in, had impressed upon my heart to really prepare for Easter Sunday. To prepare through Lent and, and sacrificing things, through prayer. Even the Holy Week, we decided to do different things during that week to really set apart. I have never weeped more in singing in my entire life. We came Sunday morning, Easter service, and I could not sing a single song. The preparation made the singing so much more powerful. Me, who doesn't sing? John Piper says, music and singing are necessary to the Christian faith and worship for the simple reason that the realities of God and Christ are so great, they demand poetry and song and music. Isn't that true? Don't you find that you can sometimes hear a song that will encapsulate what would take you pages to write about? Particularly if it's read out of God's word. My mom-in-law was playing a song for me that she wanted to have at my father-in-law's memorial next week and it was called another soldier's going home and it was amazing how much god released grieving in a song it was right out of scripture yeah me who thinks music doesn't do much for me i'm wrecked by it if i let myself god's people are marked by music because music is a universal language it is powerful but Christianity alone has the lyrics that are that save because they're the lyrics right from God's word. Now, we need to know these are no cat songs. What the, what the Israelites were singing were not me, 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 me. It's all about me, Jesus, not about you. Remember Nehemiah 9? You did this. You did this. You did this. We believe that everything that they sang were the psalms, like the psalms. They were all about him. We need to kind of reevaluate what we sing. Because there are, within Christianity, contemporary Christianity, there are cat songs and dog songs. And honestly, if we keep singing the cat songs that are all about me, we're not going to have the joy that God intends. It's when we praise him for who he is that we really understand how loved we are and the joy that comes that is heard far away. So their participation, their joy from God was heard far away. And they offered great sacrifices, Nehemiah 12:43, that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away, because this was the point of revival. The whole point of their revival was that the nations would hear. It has always been about the nations. It has always been about the testimony of God. God has always been a missional God. It's not just a new movement in contemporary Christianity. It is from Genesis on. God restores, God rebuilds, God revives, so that the nations may be glad. Amen? 
Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Psalm 85, 6. The purpose of their revival was to evidence the glory of God. True joy, the kind that is heard far away, is a result of finding out that he's God, not me. Listen, to, listen again to Shogren and Robison. Why are so many Christians joyless? Because their salvation is basically fire insurance. They are merely walking away from hell focused on themselves. They have never discovered the treasure. When you're just walking away from hell, there is relief, but no joy. And may I caution that that relief might be self-deception? Because I don't see that kind of Christianity as true faith throughout Scripture. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the treasure, the pleasure of God, the presence of God. And this kind of joy, this kind of delight in God is used by God to make him famous. I don't know about you, but I I, I get more excited about how awesome God is when I see a joyful Christian. How about you? The most joyous thing we can do in this lifetime is to make his name known. Nothing else matters. As I watched my father-in-law, who knew the Lord, as I watched him take that breath, what a reality check. As we're going through his things, none of it matters. All that matters are those Bibles he passed out at Ridley College. Nothing else has any real impact in our lives. And that is why John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we are satisfied in him, it is a joy that is heard far away. It is something the world cannot explain or understand. It confounds the wise. If we live gladly to make others glad in God, our lives will be hard. Our risks will be high, but our joy will be full. So there is this singing, and there, but it is followed by seriousness. It's one thing to shout out praises outside the temple. It's another to provide for the needs of the temple. See, true joy has feet. It's not just hallelujah, singing as loud as you can in the front row. It gives. It sacrifices. It is backed by action. There was a, a week that Austin was home for the weekend. You know, our son is back east doing, getting his master's and but this is his church home and when he comes home he he often struggles because he misses being home in worship and uh, he has a church he worships in there but you know there's something about where you've kind of been for the last you know six seven years he's been here and I remember one particular Sunday he really struggled because he's walking through a dry period trying to find a church home and really wrestling and he saw different individuals raising and standing in worship and praising God loud, you know, with their bodies. And he got really solemn and, and serious and I asked him, are you okay? He said, you know, I just, I watch other believers and I watch their freeness and I, I just, I struggle. I really struggle because I'm struggling right now. And I just, I want to be spiritual like them. And I said, oh, buddy, that does not mark spirituality. I've known many believers who could sit in the front row and say, amen, but don't say, yes, Lord. It's one thing to be in a worship service and to raise our hands and and to sway with the music and to have our hearts moved and to have tears stream down our face. 
But it is not true joy that is heard from far away if it's not backed by giving. If it's not backed by serving the temple, serving the people of God. Because true joy can't help but give. If it's true joy, you can't stop it. It has to give. It may be in quiet behind the scenes way. It may be up front. But it will give to the needs of the body of believers. It cannot help it. Faithfulness is backed, is behind rejoicing. J.I. Packer says, Repentance which humbles and praises, which excites, are still the two activities with God's blessing that lead most directly into spiritual renewing. And joy and self-giving are still the two activities in which the spiritual renewing most naturally expresses itself. What he is saying here is that if we don't have a joy that is self-giving, then maybe we need to go back to repentance and praise. If we are not all about loving the body, then maybe we need to look back and see if we really repented, because maybe it means we're kitties. Packer's quote summarizes, well, Israel, at least as of Nehemiah 12, (laughs) this historical account records evidence of general spiritual renewal. They had joy backed by self-giving. At least for this part of their history, they could be considered as a people who hold to a dog theology. You have sheltered me, you have pet me, you have loved me, you have fed me, you must be God. But what is true about them is also true about us. Dogs often slip into being cats, don't we? For either we are dogs who sometimes slip into being cats, or we are cats who sometimes slip into being dogs. Which one do you think you are today? As you look at this, ask God to examine your heart. And if you're not sure, ask someone who knows you well and is willing to tell you the truth. (laughs) Not one who will say what you want to hear. Which illustration best describes your relationship to the master? You pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, I must be God, lower G. Thank you for restoring me, I'll take it from here, Lord. Or you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, you must be God. Well, if you came as a cat, you don't have to leave as one. And if you came as a dog, then you recognize your areas in which you fall into being acting like a cat. And I think there's encouragement for for all of us. Dogs practice. Let's practice pausing. If we want to be one whose life consistently reflects you are God, if we want to have a joy that is heard far away, if we want to be set, we must set aside time to remind ourselves of what it means to be set apart for the Lord. To fight seeking our own interests even when it comes to God. Like the psalmist says in Psalm 9-1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount of all your wondrous deeds. That requires pausing, does it not? Without pausing, there will not be true dedication. Because without pausing, there will be no hunger for purification. We will keep carrying on as dirty plates if we don't pause. We will keep letting God, trying to serve God as as vessels of dishonor. But if we pause, then there will be true dedication, purification. To be one whose life consistently reflects you must be God, possessing a joy that is heard far away, we will need to commit to being set apart, purified, vessels clean, assisting others in their cleaning, 
The Levites assisted clean themselves and then assisted others. Do we, are we a people that people can confess to? Are we a people that care about being a part of others being cleansed? Dogs love to seek cleansing because it tells them again their story. That Jesus Christ is the blood and the water that sanctifies them and sets them apart. Listen to Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure Water. Ladies, we don't just have the blood of an animal and a little bit of water on our gate. We have the blood of Jesus and the water of the Spirit to set us apart, to purify us. Are we accessing it? Are we calling on it? Are we confessing our sins to Him who is faithful and just, who will cleanse us of all unrighteousness and restore right spirit in us so that we might serve Him? Because we have been restored and rebuilt and revived for His use. Are we wanting to be purified not as a coping skill, but so that we can be honors of vessels of honor, so that the work of him can go through us as clean china? 2 Timothy 2.20, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Ladies, God's scripture says he's glorified even with the dishonorable ones because that shows what, what, what is good. We're going to glorify him any way we, any way we live because even in our evil we will show what, how bad evil is. I don't know about you, but I want to glorify him through, as a vessel of honor, not a vessel of dishonor. Shogren and Robinson said, all of us are saved for a reason, so that we might glorify God for his mercy. There is a purpose to our salvation, and that purpose is not about escaping hell. Everything in life, not just Christianity, will eventually result in glory to the Father. It is the glory that is the end goal. Everything else is merely a means towards this consummate goal. Everything was created to glorify God. When we get this, we hunger to be cleansed so that we might participate as a vessel of honor. To be one whose life consistently reflects you are God, a joy that is heard far away, we will need to be committed to participating in the work of God among his people and in the world. We will refuse to be a spectator. We will have to throw away our audience mentality. Quit thinking that God is here to perform for us. Or that the church is here to perform for us. Realize that we have been saved so that every stone of our life would be dedicated, consecrated to his glory. To him who is the audience of one. This is why we've been saved, according to Romans 15.9. For the glory of God for his mercy. To express thanksgiving with more than mere words, because words aren't enough to express the glory of God, are they? And I love what Colossians says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, with thanksgiving in your heart to God. And thanksgiving, backed by seriousness. 
Ladies, it's not about a wedding, it's about a marriage. Many of us have been to incredible, incredibly beautiful marriages, weddings whose marriages have ended very badly. It's not about a wedding. It's not about the dedication. It's about what's going to happen next. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works. That's the wedding. So that no one may boast. And here's the marriage. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is no greater joy than walking in the purposes that God has for you. Our Lord Jesus emptied himself of his glory. He took on the form of a man. He lived perfectly in order to die sacrificially for the sins of those who would trust in him. And in those hours on the cross when the earth went dark and all the sin of you and I were laid upon him and he became sin for us, he willingly separated himself from the touch of God, his father, from the feeding of God, from the shelter of God, from the love of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did this so that we could be touched by God. So that we could be fed by God. So that we could be sheltered by God from the wrath of sin. So that we could be loved by God in intimacy. God forbid that our, res- our response to such love and mercy be drive through worship. May God's mercy and grace prevent us from ever looking at his extravagant love, unreasonable, extravagant love, and ever assume anything other than you are Lord, I know we, I will never get fully until eternity what it meant that you willingly sacrificed your son. That because of us, there was a separation between you and your beloved son. No touch, no feeding, no shelter, no love. so that we could be touched. We could be fed by your spirit. We could be sheltered by forgiveness. We could be loved by you in such a way that we might have a joy that is heard from far away. You are God.